Good morning, caller. What's on your mind? Lately, you hear a lot about a woman's right over her body and how it's being challenged. Whoa, let's not get political now. Do you even know the history? The murder, violence, maiming, kidnapping, and attacks surrounding all of this? Uh, no, I can't say I'm familiar with any of that. Oh, really? Here are three stories of violent anti-abortion extremism in America. This episode of Hook Switch Hotline contains strong political themes, mention of extremist mindsets, and descriptions of hate-fueled violence. Listener discretion is advised. 21 years ago in 1993, my dad was murdered outside of an abortion clinic in Pensacola, Florida on his way to work. He had just gotten out of his car. Um, He was walking into the back door. Uh, He had polio, so he walked with a limp and walked rather slowly used a cane most of the time. As he was about to enter the clinic, an anti-abortion protester named Michael Griffin stepped from behind a bush and shot him in the back three times. First, let's take a look at the violent players in these stories. John Allen Brockhoft, an anti-abortion extremist who's committed acts of domestic terrorism with women's centers being his main targets. In the 1980s, Brockhoft was a mail carrier. After a series of suspicious fires, federal agents said they found mail addressed to local women's centers at his residence, some from a family planning clinic called Women for Women, and some from the law firm that represented the reproductive health clinic known as the Margaret Sanger Center. It always worried me that he worked at the post office, said Ann Mitchell, a Sanger Center executive director at the time. That gave him access to mail that would have come to us, end quote. As Mitchell's reaction might indicate, Brockhoft was known to Planned Parenthood as an active opposer. He was known to law enforcement, too. One Cincinnati news outlet, WCPO, said arson investigators were well aware of Brockhoft, but never had enough to link him with anything. John Brockhoft chose to target Cincinnati's abortion providers because Kentucky's clinics were only in Lexington and Louisville. Brockhoft himself said in his prison blog, The Brockhoft Report, The thing is, though, if a Kentuckian wants to go to an abortion chamber during the day and aggravate him from the sidewalk or go there at night in a covert operation under cover of darkness with gasoline or explosives and really close to that place, he pretty well has to go to another state, Brockhoft said in his prison blog, The Brockhoft Report. Brockhoft continued, Louisville and Lexington were both at least 100 miles from my home, so it was more convenient to go to Cincinnati, Ohio, only about 15 miles away or 10 miles as the crow flies, as my pa used to say, God rest his soul, end quote. In December 1985, Brockhoft set fire in the basement of the Margaret Sanger Center of Planned Parenthood on Auburn Avenue in Mount Auburn. It caused $75,000 in damage and the clinic was closed for about six months while the building was demolished and a new structure was built. At the same time, Brockhoft set fire to the Women's Health Care Center on East McMillan Street in Mount Auburn, causing $250,000 in damage. Then, in February 1987, Brockhoft placed a pipe bomb outside the temporary offices of the Sanger Center, but it was discovered and removed before it exploded. While he stands by his mission, Brockhoff did say he was cautious to avoid civilian casualties in the bombings and fire. Brockhoft said, Yes, I did worry about that and I used all the precautions that I could. He added, 
Before I would burn an abortion facility, I would go there many nights, make many trips, and watch from a distance to make sure there was no activity in there at nighttime. In fact, the night that I burned Planned Parenthood, when I got there and waited a little while to make sure, I discovered the janitor was in there and I had to leave and come back, Brockhoft said. I had to leave and come back about three times, I think. End quote. Brockhoft ran with a crowd of anti-abortion activists, some of whom were sent to prison for murder, among other charges. Brockhoft and others called themselves the Army of God. Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms agents arrested Brockhoft in Pensacola in 1988. He had steel pipes, explosive chemicals, and detonators in his possession, and said he planned to blow up a clinic in Florida. In 1991, John Allen Brockhoft was sentenced to seven years in prison after pleading guilty to using gasoline to set a fire in the basement of the Planned Parenthood Association's Margaret Sanger Center in Cincinnati, Ohio on December 30th of 1985. Although no one was injured and Brockhoft has said he didn't want to hurt anyone, the clinic was destroyed. In exchange for his guilty plea, prosecutors dropped the charge that he'd firebombed another Ohio clinic, but Brockhoft later admitted to that crime. Brockhoft also spent more than two years in prison for planning the 1988 bombing of a Florida abortion clinic, Brockhoft said in a 2013 interview with Cincinnati news outlet WCPO. For me personally, was it worth it? Incredibly so, Brockhoft continued. I lost seven years of my life, but I gained a beautiful young wife who loves me and six more children beside the three I already had, and I couldn't imagine life without any one of those children, end quote. In that interview, Brockhoft rejected the idea that attacking abortion clinics qualified as violence and said his views on using what he called force against clinics hadn't changed. Asked if he was still involved with the Army of God, the infamous group that encourages people to fight legalized abortion with violence, Brockhoft replied, the Army of God organization? What Army of God organization? End quote. While incarcerated, self-proclaimed defender of the unborn John Brockhoft wrote what became known as the Brockhoft Report and has been quoted as saying, I'm full of the fury of Yahweh and I'm weary of holding it in. End quote. In a 1993 interview with ABC's News Nightline, Brockhoft said, One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. End quote. In more recent quotes, Brockhoft has not changed his tune and remains a staunch anti-abortionist. He said, If you had asked me 30 years ago if this slaughter would go on for 40 years, I would have said no. God would bring judgment down before that. But here we are, 40 years later. I'm still positive the Lord will give us victory someday. When? I don't know. I think it will happen one of two ways. Either God's judgment coming down on our nation, or a great revival and people taking to the streets and demanding an end to it. End quote. Dr. David Gunn was an American physician who provided OBGYN and abortion services when, on March 10, 1993, Michael Frederick Griffin waited outside Gunn's Pensacola Women's Medical Services Clinic and shot Dr. David Gunn three times in the back. Michael Frederick Griffin is reported to have yelled, Don't kill any more babies, just before the shooting. David Gunn's death also prompted Paul Jennings Hill to issue the defensive action statement signed by 30 anti-abortion leaders, which stated their belief that the killing of doctors who performed abortions was justified. Hill went on to murder physician John Britton and Britton's bodyguard in 1994. Gunn was the first of four doctors murdered between March 1993 and May 2009 by killers proclaiming a pro-life motivation. 
During his trial, Griffin's lead defense attorney, Robert Kerrigan, argued that a man named John Allen Burt brainwashed Griffin and drove him to commit murder. At the time, Burt was the Northwest Florida Regional Director of the national pro-life group Rescue America. John Allen Burt was an American Christian fundamentalist and convicted child molester who called himself the spiritual advisor to murderers Michael Griffin, Paul Hill, and other anti-abortionists. John Burt was a retired U.S. Marine and claims to have been a former member of the Ku Klux Klan who ran a safe house for pregnant teenagers called Our Father's House. Our Father's House began as a Christian ministry and shelter for unwed mothers, later evolving into a private religious reformatory boarding school for troubled teenage girls. In 2003, he was arrested for molesting a 15-year-old girl who was living there. He was convicted and sentenced to 18 years in prison, where he died in 2013. Back in 1984, Matt Goldsby and Jimmy Simmons bombed several abortion clinics. Both had an extensive association with Burt, who called himself their spiritual advisor and picketed their trial. He later denied responsibility in influencing those bombers. He was arrested in February 1985 for trespassing at Dr. Bo Bangenholm's clinic and was sentenced to five months probation. On March 26, 1986, his 48th birthday, Bert and five others invaded an abortion clinic, damaging equipment and injuring two women. For that, he was convicted of burglary and assault. He was sentenced to four years probation, and his daughter, who also took part in the invasion, was sentenced to three years probation. Anti-abortion activist John Brockhoft was arrested after leaving Burt's house on May 6, 1988, with bomb-making materials and the intent to bomb an abortion clinic. Burt claimed not to know about Brockhoft's plan, but Burt was sentenced to two years house arrest. When Michael Frederick Griffin murdered Dr. David Gunn on March 10, 1993, Burt was accused of brainwashing Griffin using graphic right-to-life propaganda. Gunn's family, together with Morris Dees of the Southern Poverty Law Center, filed the civil lawsuit that was settled with Gunn's family taking possession of land next to the abortion clinic, which Burt had purchased in 1991. On February 23, 2001, Burt was arrested at the Community Healthcare Center of Pensacola. On February 23, 2001, Burt was arrested at the Community Healthcare Center of Pensacola for disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, and violating a noise ordinance. Burt was sentenced to six months probation and ordered not to go near the clinic again. Burt was also a known associate of and so-called spiritual advisor to Paul Jennings Hill, who murdered Dr. John Britton and his escort, James Barrett, on July 29th. 1994. Dr. George Tiller was a physician from Wichita, Kansas, who was renowned for being one of the few doctors in the U.S. to perform late terminations of pregnancy. Despite Tiller's medical practice, Wichita had no abortion provider until 2013, when Trust Women Foundation opened a clinic in the city. On August 19, 1993, Shelley Shannon shot George Tiller in both arms outside his clinic. At the time she shot Tiller, Shannon was a resident of Grants Pass, Oregon, and had been a part of the anti-abortion movement for at least five years. She had written in support of Michael Frederick Griffin, the murderer of David Gunn, Colin Griffin, quote, the awesomest, greatest hero of our time, end quote. One Sunday in 2009, hundreds of people gathered in downtown Wichita, Kansas, to remember George Tiller, the abortion doctor who was shot dead during services in his church that May. Thank you for giving me the choice. 
That Sunday in 2009, the candlelight vigil doubled as a rally for abortion rights. Let's keep working to give women protections that will give them a real choice to carry that life. And if they can't, be understanding. He gave everything to do what is here now. This man has saved lives, I think is the main point. Tiller's Wichita Clinic was the site of frequent demonstrations and incidents of direct action by those opposed to abortion and of counter-demonstration by abortion rights activists. Under cover of these demonstrations, Shannon shot Tiller with a semi-automatic pistol. Shannon became involved in the anti-abortion movement around 1988. She was arrested several times for trespassing and physically obstructing access to clinics. After the murder of Dr. David Gunn in Pensacola in 1993, Shannon wrote at least 25 letters to Michael Frederick Griffin, calling him a hero and brave soldier, and describing her disillusionment with nonviolence. She also traveled to Kentucky to visit John Brockhaft. The Brockhaft Report was originally in newsletter format and edited by Shelley Shannon and Tiller's subsequent arrest and conviction for shooting late-term abortionist George Tiller. After Shelley's trial, the Brockhaft Report was published in the Prayer and Action News, edited by Dave and Dorothy Leach. On May 31st, 2009, George Tiller was shot dead during worship services at the Reformation Lutheran Church in Wichita, Kansas, where he served as an usher. Due to his line of work, Dr. Tiller was told by the FBI that he was a target of anti-abortion militants, and because of that, he'd been wearing body armor since 1998. However, Tiller was shot in the head at point-blank range. After threatening two others who tried to prevent his departure, the gunman fled in a car. Witnesses described the vehicle as a powder blue 1993 Ford Taurus. Calling the murder an abhorrent act of violence, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder announced federal law enforcement is coordinating with local law enforcement officials in Kansas on the investigation of this crime. And I have directed the United States Marshal Service to offer protection to other appropriate people and facilities around the nation. President Barack Obama said, I am shocked and outraged by the murder of Dr. George Tiller as he attended church services this morning. However profound our differences as Americans over difficult issues such as abortion, they cannot be resolved by heinous acts of violence, end quote. Cardinal Justin Regali of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops stated, Our Bishops' Conference and all its members have repeatedly and publicly denounced all forms of violence in our society, including abortion as well as the misguided resort to violence by anyone opposed to abortion. Such killing is the opposite of everything we stand for and everything we want our culture to stand for. Respect for life respect for the life of each and every human being from its beginning to its natural end. We pray for Dr. Tiller and his family, end quote. The gunman who committed the murder of Dr. George Tiller was a mentally ill man named Scott Philip Roeder. Prior to the shooting, Scott Philip Roeder was not among the people monitored as potential threats by some abortion rights groups, including the state chapter of the National Organization for Women. It has been reported that neither the FBI nor local police arrested him in the days leading up to the murder, despite reports and evidence offered to both that he vandalized a woman's clinic the week before and the day before. In a telephone call to the press from prison, Roeder admitted that he had shot and killed Tiller and declared that he felt no remorse. The Associated Press quoted Roeder's brother, 
David, who said that Scott had mental illness from time to time. Quote, however, none of us ever saw Scott as a person capable of or willing to take another person's life. Our deepest regrets, prayers, and sympathy go out to the Tiller family during this terrible time. End quote. In the six months before Roder's arrest, he said he had worked for an airport shuttle service, a party rental shop, a convenience store, and a property management enterprise. After his arrest, Roder's ex-wife, Lindsay Roder, claimed that Roder was mentally ill and that at about the age of 20, he was diagnosed with possible schizophrenia, but she offered her own diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Roder claimed to be the father of a young child and asked for time for visitation, but the mother of that child did not wish such visitation. The 2005 Pennsylvania Family Court, which ruled on Roder's custody petition regarding a daughter born in 2002, took formal notice that Roder had been diagnosed with possible schizophrenia and was not on medication. Lindsay and Scott Roder were married in 1986 and were together for 10 years. Immediately after his 2009 arrest, she stated that the explosives which led to his 1996 arrest had been intended for detonation at an abortion clinic. On June 2, 2009, Lindsay Roder gave an interview to Anderson Cooper of CNN about when and why her husband had become radicalized. She said, It was about 1991-92 when he basically couldn't cope with everyday life. He couldn't make ends meet, he couldn't pay the bills and didn't know why he couldn't do those things. And someone told him that if he didn't pay his federal taxes, if those taxes were left in his check, he could make ends meet. And then he started investigating that. And someone told him that it wasn't ratified properly in the Constitution, and it was illegal. And he went from there and got into the anti-government, got into the militia, got into the Montana Freeman. And along those lines, anti-abortion issues came up, and he started becoming very religious in the sense that he finally, he was reading the Bible. But then, after we were divorced, his religion took on a whole new right wing of itself, end quote. Scott Roeder had been a member of the anti-government Montana Freeman Group. He was stopped in Topeka, Kansas in April 1996 while displaying a placard reading Sovereign Citizen in lieu of a car license plate. He had no driver's license. He had no vehicle registration or proof of insurance. Police officers searching his car discovered explosive charges, a fuse cord, a pound of gunpowder, and nine volt batteries in the trunk. He was charged, represented by a public defender, and was convicted in June of all four counts and sentenced to 24 months probation. In July 1997, his probation was revoked for failure to pay taxes and provide his social security number to his employer, as well as other probation violations. He was sentenced to 16 months in prison to be followed by 24 months parole supervision. He filed notice of appeal and was represented by a state-funded appellate attorney who challenged the basis of the search that found the bomb components. The Kansas Court of Appeals overturned this conviction in March 1998, ruling that the search of Roeder's car had been illegal. The Kansas Court of Appeals overturned this conviction in March 1998, ruling that the search of Roeder's car had been illegal and remanded the case to the trial court. Roeder was released after serving eight months. According to the Anti-Defamation League, Roeder belonged to a group called the Sovereign Citizen Movement, which believes that virtually all existing government in the United States is illegitimate. The Anti-Defamation League's national director, Abraham Foxman, stated that, quote, Roeder's attachment to extreme causes extended beyond anti-abortion extremism. His extremism cross-pollinated between anti-government extremism and anti-abortion extremism and led to violence and murder, end quote. Scott Roeder 
took the stand in his own defense on January 28, 2010. At the outset, he admitted to killing Tiller, defending his act as an attempt to save unborn children and giving his views on abortion. Under questioning by his attorney, Roeder attempted to describe abortion practices in detail, but was repeatedly halted by objections based on his lack of medical expertise. On April 1st, 2010, in Wichita, Kansas, Sedgwick County District Judge Warren Wilbert sentenced Roeder to a hard 50, meaning in prison with no possibility of parole for 50 years, for the murder of Tiller, the maximum sentence available in Kansas, plus an additional two years for the two counts of aggravated assault. After being charged with murder, Roeder frequently called an Associated Press reporter from the county jail. He complained about being treated like a criminal. Roeder told the reporter, quote, I want people to stop and think. It is not anti-government. It is anti-corrupt government, end quote. For half a century, a conspiracy-minded brand of anti-abortion extremism has been part and parcel of white supremacist movements. The Ku Klux Klan referred to legalized abortion as a genocide against the white race. Anti-abortion leaders such as Randall Terry of Operation Rescue and Robert Cooley of the Pro-Life Action Network frequently alleged that most abortion providers were Jewish. Today, the QAnon conspiracy, which helped inspire the U.S. Capitol riot on January 6th and continues to threaten similar plots, can be seen as a twisted metonym for generations of anti-Semitic pro-life propaganda. Child molestation and cannibalism take the place of abortion, while personalities like George Soros and phrases like global cabal stand in for Jews. In this world, a $1.5 million grant awarded to Planned Parenthood by the Open Society Foundations becomes evidence of George Soros personally offering political cover for Planned Parenthood's lucrative trade in what they term baby body parts. Carol Mason, a professor of gender and women's studies at the University of Kentucky and the author of Killing for Life, the apocalyptic narrative of pro-life politics, said, the QAnon obsession with vulnerable children is really similar to the blood libel myth, end quote. The blood libel myth, the blood libel myth is an unfounded and anti-Semitic accusation of Jews murdering Christian boys for their blood to be used in ritualistic fashion. This falsity was prevalent in prehistoric societies and these sentiments are echoed by alt-right groups today. Further proof of this is seen in the actions of John Brockhoft today. For instance, on January 6th of 2021, Brockhoft was live streaming as he and a mob of extremists like him ambushed the U.S. Capitol building. In the footage, Brockhoft could be seen wearing a hat with the words U.S. Navy and veteran written on it. Brockhoff told the camera that he'd heard rumors about storming the Capitol. Quote, they put up a barrier here. You can maybe see a little bit of it in between the people to try and keep us from going into the U.S. Capitol, Brockhoff said as he panned to show the crowd, many of whom were brandishing Trump flags and cheering at the speech the president gave right before the attack on the Capitol. Brockhoff continued, they're in there, supposedly counting the electors and verifying states, but so they put these barriers up because they know we were coming, and I've heard some chatter about how our people are going to take those barriers down and push their way in. I will keep you informed, end quote. After Donald Trump released a video that afternoon asking rioters to, quote, go home, Brockhoft wrote on the same page that he was disgusted with Trump, quote, I was there and we showed him so much support that he could have stayed on as president no matter what Mike Pence or the Electoral College said. With Trump now telling us to go home and be peaceful, it's going to be a lot harder to win this war. End quote. According to a recent Gallup poll, the percentage of Americans who consider themselves pro-choice has risen in the past year to 55 percent. 
The poll found the highest pro-choice affiliation that Gallup has measured since 1995, when 56% of Americans identified as such. That number had fluctuated between 45% and 50% for the past decade before jumping six points in the latest survey. The survey also found that 52% of Americans consider abortion morally acceptable, the first time a majority has expressed that view since Gallup began asking the question in 2001. A record low 38% call it morally wrong. Democrats' pro-choice identification rose from 78% to 88% in the past year. There was no significant change among Republicans, independents, men, or older Americans, Gallup said. And, and just as an aside, have, have you noticed how the people who get the most fired up about a woman's right to choose are men who've never needed an abortion? Never had an obigani, never had a pap smear, never had a cramp, don't know nothing about any of this, but they think they're the experts. I think it's fair to say I don't tell Michelle what to do with her body. You notice that? Men acting like you know something. You don't know. Funny how that works. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hook Switch Hotline. Please subscribe and come back next week where we'll delve deep into more graphic true crimes. Here's a clip. It's disgusting. It's wrong. And it's just... It's evil. It's evil. It's evil.